I want to tell you about Tiny Talkers group curriculum. If you're an SLP looking for more work-life balance and a fresh way to do things in your private practice, then the Tiny Talkers group curriculum might be just what you're looking for. Tiny Talkers groups are set up as a way to provide accessible speech and language support to young children in a small group setting. Our friend Megan Samuels, creator of Tiny Talkers, has done all the planning for you. When you sign up for the curriculum, you get a full 36-week program divided into summer, fall, winter, and spring semesters. The plans are easy to implement and adjust as needed to meet the needs of your clients. They include material checklists and parent handouts for each session. And the best part is, Megan designed each week so that all the materials you'll need can fit into one sensory bin. So once you get your group set up, you're done. In the years that follow, you'll pull out that bin and go. No planning, no stress, just fun. If you want to learn more about Tiny Talkers, go to tinytalkersgroupcurriculum.com to check it out. Make sure to use our code BOOKCLUB10 at checkout to get 10% off your order. We love Tiny Talkers Group Curriculum, and we know you'll love it too. You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Adrian Frost and Laura Geisert. This month, we're reading The Seeds of Learning by Tara Sumter. Let's get into it. Hi, Laura. Hi, Adrian. Everybody, welcome back to the SLP Book Club. Today, we are going to be discussing Chapter 7 of The Seeds of Learning by Tara Sumter. But first... We are going to play a little game. We're just going to do some conversation starters. Maybe you'll learn a little bit about us. Maybe you'll yuck it up a little bit. By the way, I said that to my sister, yuck. Uh-huh. Like, yuck you know, up. Y-U-K. And she was like, what is that? I've never even heard of that. What? <laughs> I was like, oh, to laugh. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. I guess not everyone knows that. <laughs> Okay, Laura, I'll go first. Okay. Would you rather get rich through hard work or through winning the lottery? I think through hard work, you don't appreciate things if you don't earn them. Mm. And that's not to say that people who win the lottery don't, but we all hear those horror stories. Like everything goes wrong in their lives. The curse of the lottery. So of course, we're going to want to get rich through hard work, right? Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think... Geez, I mean, I know there used to be a reality show called The Curse of the Lottery. Yeah. Uh, Nothing really good comes from that. So I do think hard work is key. And you do probably appreciate it more. And you don't have like weird people coming out of the woodwork, though you probably still do, you know. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about what you would do if you won the lottery, like what your plan would be? I'm so responsible, or I'm not responsible with money, but I, I always do the thing, like I go, I would invest it you know I would try not to tell people or like immediately you go to a lawyer you have it put into a trust it's anonymous nobody's supposed to know yeah and then you just show up with a brand new car one day and everyone's like what's going on with Laura I know I know (laughs) hard work that's what you say (laughs) hard work I've been working hard day in day out okay would you rather lose your keys or lose your cell phone? I also saw this when I was scrolling through and I briefly gave it some thought. <laughs> so I'm prepared. Either one. Horror. I know. It's much easier to get your house rekeyed than you think. Okay. Are we doing just house keys or is there everything on that key ring? Car and house. I know. The car key really complicates things. 
But I do think, I think like losing yourself, well, I don't know, you could just buy one. I haven't really lost myself. I mean, knock on wood, this is probably manufactured wood, but I won't knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't lost my phone recently, but do they have all that data? Can they just put it back on? Everything's in the cloud. Right. There's no SIM card anymore. It's in the cloud. You just grab the new box, bing, bang, boom. But the expense, I wonder if the expense is sort of like even because... You know, to get a house rekeyed, depending on your locks, is like three hundred dollars. And mm -hmm. then, how much is a replacement car key? Probably like two. Those are expensive. I'm mm -hmm. guessing. So I guess I'm gonna go with keys. You'd rather lose your keys, okay? But this is feeling a little like this conversation. I'm scared. I'm like, I hope this isn't manifesting anything bad into our lives. <laughs> so, I do not want to lose either one. I'm just gonna put that out there. I don't want to lose them. Right. It's just a hypothetical. <laughs> and I never will. And I never would. But if I had to lose one, I guess it would be, I think it would be my phone and just go get another one. Or like, do I have one in a drawer mm. somewhere that I could turn on temporarily? Maybe. I don't know the answers to these mm. questions. I should probably have a plan. I do remember in probably 2011, I broke my iPhone about one week before the brand new iPhone was coming out. And I was, it was a big transitional period for the iPhone. It was like a big one was coming out oh. and my phone shattered. And so I ended up with a little flip phone and was back to okay. doing like yeah. T9 word for texting. And it was shocking. Oh, yeah. You know, you go, oh my gosh, I've gotten so used to this thing. And that was over 10 years ago. So I can't even imagine. Well, I've gone down the, I've gone down the path of getting away from a smartphone. And there's some more elegant solutions than the flip phone. I think they have a phone called a dumb phone that is sort of like it functions, you know, it kind of looks like a smartphone, but it just basically can make calls, text. And I think that's it. But you can't be on it. You can't be on Instagram. You can't right. check your email. Yeah, but there's like, I always just struggle with this because there are things that I use my phone for directions, yeah. checking your bank balance or depositing a check where you use your app on your phone. Like it is so convenient. Then you got to be going to the bank. Yeah. Oh, we're not switching to a dumb phone. No, I'm not allowing that. I don't know. <laughs> then you just have like no pictures of anything in your life because the camera's all crappy. I couldn't show people my dogs everywhere I go. I don't know. I always feel very conflicted about it. But... I understand. I understand. Okay, Adrian, I have a little surprise for you. Oh, okay. After our last episode, <laughs> I saw how much you love spelling bees. Yeah. <laughs> and I decided to look up, not from our book, because that would be cheating. You've seen those words that Tara okay, came up yes, with already. Yes. I found... Another nonsense word, spelling test. Okay. Do you want me to start with? Start with? I'll start with some one syllable words, but they have blends in them. Okay, that's fine. Okay. I'm ready. How about smend? Smend. S-M-E-N-D. Okay, that's one point. Good job. Are you ready for this? You got to really listen to how I pronounce it. Okay. Quid. Okay, say it again. Quid. <laughs> I feel like there's a W hiding in there. <laughs> okay. The word is wid. Quid. Quid. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm trying to give you a hint that there's a, a hidden letter in there. Wid. Oh, W-H-I-D? Yes. Oh, my God. That was hard. <laughs> I'm going to go give you some multisyllabic, okay? Okay. Rig-fap. Rig-fap. R-I-G-F-A-P or P-H? No, you got it. You got the F. F yeah. F. Okay, let's okay. do one more. Napsate. Napsate. N-A-P-S-A-T-E. You are so good. You got 100%. You really are great <laughs> oh at my spelling. God, thank you. <laughs>
Well, I do have a spelling bee horror story. What happened? I mean, let me set the scene. Okay. Second grade, big spelling bee. It may have been all school. I remember it being in like a bigger room, maybe an auditorium. And I was feeling confident, you know, I was feeling pretty good. And the word comes up and it was sunshine. And I think I said S-U-N-S-H-Y-N-E. Oh. It was something like, it was like a dumb error. And I, they were like, eh, you're out. And I just like cried. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I remember it was, um, it was harsh. And Oof. I, it was a little devastating for me, but clearly I've bounced back. Yeah. So. Yeah. What and look you? at you now. You just got 100% on this nonsense spelling test, probably wow. made for second graders. <laughs> I'm proud of myself. Follow-up question. Have you seen the movie Bad Words with Jason Bateman? No. Oh my gosh. It's the best spelling bee movie ever. It's so good. Oh, she's cute. Yeah. Gotta watch it. Okay. Bad words. Okay, yeah. One time I was at a bar and they had the spelling bee on, like the national spelling bee, and it was the most Ooh, fun yeah. I've ever had. Like you're rooting them on. You're like, go do it. You're trying it out. You're testing yeah. yourself. It was great. <laughs> Highly recommend. Don't they put the word at the bottom? Yeah, but you could like kind of turn your back and like play with whoever you're with. You oh, know? just listen. Yeah. Do you have any spelling bee stories to share, Laura? Or am I just No, because I don't think Either my school didn't have one or I didn't make it. I mean, I'm great at spelling. So I feel like if there were an opportunity to be in a spelling bee, that would have been my thing. But I can't recall a spelling bee. No. First, there was my spelling bee in second grade. And then at a different school in sixth grade, I just bullied my teacher into giving us spelling bees a lot because I love the thrill of winning. <laughs> Like it would be Friday and he'd be like, okay, you guys, we could do something fun this afternoon. And I would be like, spelling bee, please, please, please. He's like, I'm literally telling you we can like go outside and play. I bet everybody was so irritated with me looking back. Like not again. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so That funny. was really fun. Thanks for the surprise, Laura. I liked uh, flexing my spelling skills. Stay tuned, everyone. When we come back, we're going to be discussing chapter seven from the Seeds of Learning. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast, it's a community. Go to our Instagram at SLP underscore book club to join the discussion and connect with us after each episode. Want even more of the SLP Book Club? The resources we make to support the content of the books we read are available for free on our Patreon or at the Laura G. SLP Teachers Pay Teachers store. You can find links to them in the show notes. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to the SLPbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at the slpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at slp underscore book club or on TikTok at the SLP book club. Okay, everyone. So now we're going to dive into chapter seven, which is client reports. So there were six children that were covered in this chapter, but it gets a little repetitive. So I just wanted to select three different children that kind of felt a little bit more related to speech or to kids that we've seen before. And so I'm going to go over each of those and we'll just talk about them and the process of the assessment and then also outcomes, therapy, etc. I just wanted to state in the beginning, this book is meant to be a diagnostic manual for the practitioner. So Tara doesn't really go into too much depth about therapy or the progress for these kids once they're actually in therapy. 
And these reports look a lot more like typical cases you would see in a clinical practice. And so they're more complex in nature. And there's multiple systems of cognition that are impacted. And then there's also some really cool diagrams for each child that talks about what their specific areas of deficit are and how they impact others. And it's kind of cool to see it visually. So definitely check those out in the book. And I'm going to go ahead and start with Peter, who is a 16-year-old in 10th grade. And when I read this, I just thought, wow, have I seen this kid before? And normally, I see these students, I can think of multiple middle school students and also high schoolers. I don't think this profile is something I've seen at the lower grades, but definitely by 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, and up. And so we'll talk about it a little bit. And to me, this is also the kind of case where speech might be thrown onto the assessment plan and we do our assessment and maybe they don't qualify for speech, but you hear the RSB and the psychologist talking a lot about their scores for this. So Peter has a history of premature birth. He spent five weeks in the NICU. He was diagnosed with, I'm going to give this my best shot, phenylketonuria. A rare inherited disorder, which requires his diet to be monitored and modified. And he's also been diagnosed with ADHD, anxiety, and depression. He takes three different medications for that. And he currently sees a counselor, psychiatrist, and metabolic specialist. The chief complaints for Peter are that he has severe difficulty staying on task, staying focused, and completing tasks on time independently. He also has a hard time with handwriting and it's very messy. For me, that was like the ding, 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 because I have heard so many kids and they're always the ones who've been diagnosed with ADHD or have suspected ADHD where the parents are like, he can't even read his own handwriting. You know, I've heard that so many times. Yeah. They said he has difficulty writing basic paragraphs because he has a hard time organizing his thoughts into cohesive sentences. Again, something I've heard many times, just like staring at the paper, right? And then after such a long time, the output is so limited. And he can read, but he no longer chooses to do so. I really had some questions about that one. I was like, what does that really mean? He can read, but he doesn't choose to do so, like for pleasure or for schoolwork. Is he just rejecting all reading in general? Yeah, choose makes it seem like he doesn't read for pleasure, but you do have to read in high school. So is he just completely not completing those assignments? Or I have no idea. Regardless, I mean, that is concerning. And he has been on an IEP since first grade and has started lying obsessively and avoiding any academic work. So the client presents with loud, impulsive, and negative talk. He's not interested in what the examiner had to say, which indicates issues with perception and impulsivity. He demonstrated a lot of out loud self-talk, sniffing, and off-task talking. And when they gave him a writing sample, and it had a 10-minute time limit on it, he stared at the paper for several minutes, and then he completed three sentences in four minutes, and after six minutes said that he was done. So the assessment outcome is that he presents with severe deficits of executive functioning, and these specific deficits were self-awareness, attention, initiation, flexibility, self-monitoring, gauging, anticipating, estimating time, generating, organization, decision-making, and pacing, among many others. Like, the list was pretty long. 
So Peter's executive functioning deficits are obviously significantly contributing to his overall learning struggles and are of primary concern. He presents with a reading impairment characterized by deficits in both phonological and visual imagery for symbols, cognitive processing areas. And he also presents with the language impairment as seen by deficits in written language expression, comprehension of language abstraction, and reading comprehension. So there's a lot going on for Peter. And his diagnoses are executive functioning impairment, reading impairment, and language impairment. And I also want to note that when I talk about each case, the order that the diagnoses are listed in is the order of importance. So in this case, we can think about it as a trickle down. So if his number one diagnosis is executive functioning impairment, that is impacting his reading impairment and his language impairment. And those two should be seen as sort of secondary to the executive functioning impairment. Mm. So Peter's therapy plan due to his age, deficit complexity and deficit severity is that he would receive therapy four times a week for hour long sessions with a focus on improving his executive functioning skills for self-regulation, phonological and visual imagery processing for reading and language processing for written language and reading comprehension. Treatment will initially focus on Peter's executive functioning skills in isolation and then once those are in a better place or kind of solidified, you would move on to a literacy executive functioning integrated therapy approach and only when that is appropriate for him. You don't want to rush that if the executive functioning skills are still underdeveloped. Therapy will then transition to an integrated language executive functioning treatment approach and will focus on executive functioning therapy to establish plans and routines for intervention. Once he has the ability to plan, therapy will then transition to a literacy focus to stabilize reading for academic development. Executive function therapy will facilitate literacy intervention. So even though that was quite the mouthful, when you really step back and look at it, what it's just saying is that the executive functioning skills really need to be solidified and worked on before you can work on reading, before you can work on the language component. They build on one another like what we saw in chapter six, where it's sort of a ladder. So when we're planning our therapy, we need to look at what is really the root problem and target that first. Mm -hmm. When I was reading that, Laura, can you think of any students you've had that sort of fit that same like profile? I mean, I know you worked in elementary school, you don't have as much experience with the older grades as I do. But did you ever see any upper grade kids that just were like avoiding work, written expression deficit? Yeah, I have one that that I'm thinking of who was actually in an autism class and had an autism diagnosis, but didn't in my opinion, have autism. I mean, I didn't see any characteristics of autism. It really seemed like a lot of executive functioning weaknesses, a lot of atten a lot of issues with attention, and just a complete avoidance of a lot of work because he felt like he couldn't do it, you know? Yes. And I think when I think about those students, it's just a little heartbreaking to think of so many kids who have moved through the system who have not been correctly identified. And I really like that Tara mentioned mm -hmm. that in the assessment chapter. When you're assessing, we're not assessing to just slap a label on a kid and move them through. We're really trying to view them as this unique puzzle they are and develop a plan to help treat their weakness areas. So yeah, I know we're gonna wrap up the whole book and talk about these things. But when I read through these reports, I was just so interested to see what Tara's executive functioning 
therapy looks like. Oh my gosh, me too. Yeah, we got a taste of it when we read Smart But Scattered, all these plans for addressing executive functioning. But I would like to see what a one hour, because didn't they say for him, for Peter, it was four times a week for hour-long sessions? Yes. What do those sessions look like? Where do they start? No, I was also thinking, how do you get buy-in from a kid who's already probably like way overworking on stuff? Four hours a week, I'm dying to know how you get that kid to even sit and work because... The attitude of a lot of the kids, once you get to middle school to high school, it's like, I'm so over this. They've had so many pullout services, so many people trying to get them to do what's probably been so hard that the motivation is always pretty low. I mean, not always, always, but majority. Understandably so. Of course. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about the next client report, which is for Noah, a seven-year-old first grader. And he's received traditional speech therapy for four years with minimal progress. Due to the severity of Noah's executive functioning deficits, he was unable to complete any formal testing. So there was no kind of Venn diagram for him. And that should tell you something right off the bat about what we're going to talk about. (laughs) The family's chief complaint is that they are concerned about his speech and language skills. He's struggling in school and had to repeat kindergarten. So Noah presented as a happy and playful child throughout the evaluation. He needed almost max levels of redirection, so almost constant redirection, to attend to assessment tasks. And he was unable to complete any standardized testing due to his lack of perception, sustained attention, and inhibition. He was also unable to participate in conversational exchanges due to his lack of conversational perception. So I'm imagining this client as just those kids who come into the assessment room and they are all over the place. They're touching everything on the table. They won't sit down. You're showing them the pictures and you're just thinking like, you know what they taught you in grad school, put some stickers in the book at intermittent places. So, you know, once this child does five pages, they get a sticker and it's like, I don't know if that always works with these kinds of kids. Yeah. So Noah presented with a severe executive functioning impairment caused by deficits in perception, focus, sustained attention, shifting attention, and inhibition. And it looks like these executive functioning weaknesses are driving his language and articulation impairments because he is not intentionally connected to his environment. So I thought that was so interesting And I know we've talked about this a little bit in past chapters of this book, but to really see it spelled out as attention is the basis for everything we've learned. So if we are not intentionally connecting with our environment, of course, we'll have articulation deficits. Of course, we'll have vocabulary deficits. Of course, we're going to have expressive and receptive language deficits and probably, you know, syntactical and also morphology, you know, deficits. So across the board. This makes me think of I've screened some kids before at the preschool or kindergarten level where the parent has requested a screening. And I'm thinking of one little guy who just had no ability to attend to things for very long. He was all over the place. You know, the teacher reported it, that he could not pay attention in class at all. Mm. And then you'd hear him talk really, really, really rapidly and very hard to understand. But then if I'm using a little screener and I get him to produce some of my words, turns out he can make all the sounds at the one word level. But like you said, it's like there's so much that goes into articulation. If you're not looking at your conversational partner, you're not realizing that they have no idea what you're saying. Sure. If you're going so fast, if you're just at this 
totally different level than all the rest of us and you move through life like a little buzzing bee, your articulation gets imprecise. Right. So my question is, because I know what I said to them was, actually, I checked and his articulation is fine. And this seems to be an issue of attention. So is that our role? Should we be assessing those kids and working on attention so that they can be more intelligible in the classroom. Yes. When if we gave them the gifta, they would not show that they have an articulation disorder. Right. So it's really that sort of perception component. It's like perceiving. And I mean, I see it. I have a group of fifth graders who still are working on R at the word level, at the phrase level, and at the sentence level. And when you try to get to that self-awareness piece, that perception is just off. Sometimes they have it, sometimes they don't. And it's interesting that they can make it all the way to fifth grade and still not really realize that they are sounding different or even be able to identify like an accurate production versus an inaccurate one. Yeah. So getting back to Noah, he also presents with an articulation disorder characterized by inconsistent substitutions, distortions, and omissions of consonant sounds in words, particularly medial sound omissions, which makes sense if he's talking pretty fast or he's not paying attention, you know, to his rate. And I think in the book, they also mentioned he had some vowel errors and also presents with atypical prosodic patterns. So to me, it was just really interesting that articulation deficits, especially inconsistent ones, to me, that's like always an interesting result when you get kids who are making inconsistent errors, but it doesn't really appear to be apraxia. And I just kind of go like, oh, it's emerging. Yeah, right. That's pretty much what I say It's like, well, if they can produce it in some contexts, but not in others, then the sounds emerging and we should just give it some time. Because obviously they're stimulable, they can do it in some contexts. So I don't know. So Noah's diagnoses are severe executive functioning impairment, severe receptive and expressive language disorder, and articulation disorder. And in conclusion, Noah's inability to perceive and focus on his environment and to inhibit his own thoughts and desires are significantly impacting his ability to develop speech and language. So the therapy plan for Noah is to receive speech and literacy therapy three to four times a week with an initial focus on developing his executive functioning skills of perception, focus, and inhibition during concrete desirable and undesirable tasks. Ding, 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 undesirable. (laughs) That's the key there. (laughs) After an appropriate amount of time, Therapy will address perception, focus, and sustained attention for simple questions and one-step directions. Therapy will also address simple yet complete sentence structure usage. The next client report is for Samara, 10-year-old. And I'm sorry, I know in the beginning of this, I said I was going to do three, but I just have to do four because they're so interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So this client report is for Samara, a 10-year-old fourth grader. She's currently on an IEP for speech and receives 60 minutes a week at school. She received private speech for one year and has received speech at school since kindergarten. So Samara's parents are concerned about her speech, reading, and writing skills. On her most recent report card, she received A's in math, social studies, and science, a B-plus in writing, and a C-plus in reading. And her mom is an elementary school teacher and has tried some intervention on Samara to help with her literacy skills, but she reports minimal success. So throughout the assessment, Samara presented as a hard worker, stayed focused, she was quiet and cooperative, 
And the results were that she presents with a speech disorder characterized by the vowelization of the R phoneme and R blends and interdentalization of the S phonemes and S blends in all positions of words. So she was presenting with lingual weakness when protruded and lateralized. The lingual weakness is most likely the contributing factor to her misarticulations. And she also showed mild oral apraxic-like tendencies during her DDK activities and occasional conversational speech tasks, specifically with multisyllabic words. She also presents with a severe reading impairment as shown by deficits in both the phonological and visual imagery for symbols processing cognitive domains necessary for reading. She showed difficulty in phonological processing vowel sounds, sounds in simple and complex single syllable words, and multisyllabic words. She has impaired visual imagery for symbols as evidenced by her poor retention and recall of more than four letter words and multisyllabic words, poor sight word acquisition, and poor orthographic spelling. So Samara was diagnosed with a severe specific reading disorder and a speech disorder with apraxic-like tendencies. So in conclusion, it's suspected that Samara has undiagnosed and untreated childhood apraxia of speech due to poor progress with traditional speech therapy, performance on the DDK, residual speech errors, difficulty coordinating multisyllable words in conversational speech, and her overall disinterest in speaking. Her reading impairment is probably a result of her residual speech disorder, which impacted her phonological processing development. And her weak visual imagery for symbols is most likely a result of her weak phonological processing. So you can see the trickle down there. The therapy plan for Samara is to receive speech and literacy therapy two to three times a week with a focus on developing her phonological processing skills for reading, visual imagery for symbols, both letters and numbers, and oral motor and speech activities for the R and S phonemes and multisyllable words at all linguistic levels. So that was pretty interesting to think about what is the long-term effects of somebody having an undiagnosed apraxia of speech that continues and isn't really ever treated in the way that it needs to be treated. My last case I'm going to cover is Carmen. She's an eight-year-old second grader, and she has a pretty unremarkable medical history. And I totally laughed, like, writing that out. Unremarkable. Like, oh, your medical history. So unremarkable. I've used that in reports, (laughs) and it does sound funny. Like, ah. Yeah, I'm not dismissing it, but, you know. Who cares how she got here? She got here. She was born. She's here. Here she is. (laughs) No problems. Carmen's mother reports that she is concerned with Carmen's struggles with reading, spelling, and writing letters correctly. Carmen is homeschooled and her mom homeschooled all of her older siblings and never had difficulty teaching any of them to read or write, but she's struggling with Carmen. During the assessment, you know, she was a hard worker, really cooperative. She made good eye contact and she was attentive. So the outcome was that she presents with a mild reading impairment characterized by weakness in both phonological processing and visual imagery processing for symbols. So phonologically, Carmen has difficulty processing words at the multisyllable level and her visual imagery processing for symbols is the more significant concern as demonstrated by difficulty holding manipulating and retrieving letters for the purposes of sight word acquisition, spelling, and reading rate and fluency. So her ultimate diagnosis was a reading impairment. And I really liked what they said about this, which is why I included this. 
client report. In conclusion, despite the fact that Carmen's reading comprehension scores are technically within normal limits at the 25th percentile, these scores are much lower than her oral language comprehension scores. So this discrepancy suggests that the weakness of her reading mechanics is impacting her ability to comprehend what she reads. And I do like that within the diagrams for each client, Tara puts their scores. So you can see the standard scores, you can see the percentiles, and you can kind of see the discrepancies there. But it is a great example of how a child with high language ability can kind of mask any deficits and compensate for that in a school setting, she most likely would not have been identified. Yeah. But the large gap between her language skills and her reading comprehension was a serious red flag that there was a breakdown somewhere in her processing, which led us to realize that it was in the visual processing for symbols area. And it's recommended that Carmen receive literacy therapy two to three times a week for 60 minute sessions with a focus on developing her phonological processing and visual imagery processing of symbols for literacy development. So my hope is that everybody listening to that and reading the book was able to kind of have some aha moments about cases they've had before or some discrepancies that you're like, oh my gosh, that really makes sense. I wish so badly that Tara had a therapy book that we could follow up with next month, but (laughs) it's in the works and she says that multiple times. So When it comes out, we will cover it, of course. I wrote, I really want to learn more about treatment, so I guess we'll be reading her next book when it comes out. (laughs) (laughs) And just to go over the appendix a little bit, you know, there's some really great stuff in there. We've kind of been referencing it throughout, but there is a great syllable structure examples. Like, I feel like we've just been spouting off about CVC, CCVC, CVCCC. So go check that out if you would like some examples. The assessment tool list, super handy. The nonsense word spelling assessment, which Laura... Our favorite. (laughs) Give a little spin. And I love, love, love that she included her own executive functioning questionnaire that they use in her private practice. So I think that's something great. You could probably find that on her website. But, you know, I think this would be really helpful if you want to get a bigger picture. Just include that in your assessment battery. Send it on home. And a phonics inventory as well as executive functioning observation checklist that was derived from the McCloskey executive function scale. And I was wondering, Laura, if you've ever heard anybody give the McCloskey or if you've heard of it before, because I had not. No. And I just feel like I always use pragmatic language, either a pragmatic language test or like pragmatic skills checklists. Or, you know, you use those, you use questionnaires for teachers about you know, behavior that sort of covers executive functioning. But I never in my assessments thought about executive functioning as an area I specifically was assessing, which I'm embarrassed to admit. But no, I don't think you should be embarrassed. I mean, to me, it's sort of a gray area. It's like whose domain is that under anyway? Is it speech? Is it academic? Is it school psychologist? Yeah. You know, someone should take ownership for it, though. I guess it has to be us. I guess. Add it to the list. 
<laughs> I mean, this could be a thing where we're assessing and then the goals could be addressed in the classroom. Of course. It doesn't have to all fall on the speech therapist, but maybe we are the person who knows the most, us and I guess the psychologist, about executive functioning and can really look at it and say, here's the root cause of all these other things we're seeing. Yeah. And I really love a good tag team goal. Oh, yeah. You know, person responsible classroom teacher comma speech language pathology yes yes or rsp teacher comma other staff (laughs) (laughs) okay so that i guess wraps it up we have a couple minutes if there's any like last thoughts or comments that you wanted to make about the book laura i feel like we did such a thorough job covering it how many times can we say game-changing mind-blowing. I know. It's like my final notes are things we've already said. I really can't stress enough how important I think this is for especially SLPs working in schools. Even if you can't to a T, you know, do this assessment the way Tara lays it out because it's just too comprehensive and it involves too much. When you do have those students who make really slow progress and maybe it's because you're not addressing phonological processing. You know, there's there are things you need to get to the bottom of. And maybe you don't assess all this stuff for every kid, but you see some kids where you go, I really need to figure out what's going on here, especially if it seems to be an executive functioning weakness. You know, there's just so much to take in. I think I'm going to have to read this book a couple more times oh, yeah. for it to like really be ingrained, but it's fascinating. And then the other thing I was going to say So Tara does have online courses you can take, and she has one for executive functioning that's a 90-day self-paced course, and it includes office hours and a community where you connect with other SLPs who are doing the course, and you share ideas and plans and everything. I mean, she has multiple courses. That was the one that kind of stood out to me because that was the big question. What is this executive functioning therapy? What does it look like? That's what we all want to know, and I'm sure that's where you can learn it. So. Maybe we'll put a link to her website or something in our show notes if this information is just changing your life and you need to know more. Yes. I mean, of the books that we've read since January, really, I mean, there have been some like great ones that have been awesome, but this book and Smart But Scattered are the ones that I find myself thinking about again and again. And it's like executive functioning skills are just this foundational piece that I can't believe how easily it gets overlooked or how many times in an IEP it's like, well, his attention impacted his ability to complete the subtest or, you know, these scores were all average and this one was horrible. And it's because we did it at the end of the assessment session. And it's just kind of gets like glazed over and nobody's writing goals to really address that. I think too often what we would refer to which I'll try not to do anymore as behaviors are actually executive functioning deficits. Like sometimes behavior is a function Mm. of communication. The child wants something and behaves a certain way in order to get it or to get out of something. But I don't know. Sometimes I think that we, you know, maybe in grad school, instead of so much emphasis on behavior, 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 we should be learning more about these executive functioning skills and how to address them and how to assess them. A hundred percent. For me, that was coming together when I was reading the presentation component for Peter, the first client that we talked about. 
some of these things I was like, oh, I've seen kids do that. And it's just, you write it off as non-compliance or sort of like off-task behavior, but seeing her write it out, like not interested in what the examiner says. I've seen that so many times and seeing her write just next to it, perception, impulsivity. It's like, yes, of course, but who's thinking of it in those terms, right? It's like, doesn't feel so relevant to speech. This kid has a bad attitude. Oh, right. Non-compliant. But then it's like, wait, what's really going on? Right. Or like, when they gave him the writing sample, didn't like writing topic given by examiner and asked for another one. To me, I'm like, that's just kind of annoying. Are you delaying? Are you trying to push this off? But really, it's flexibility. Of course. Yeah. Of course it is. When he dumped the blocks out of the box and they all went over the table and onto the floor, he was surprised. Hmm. And that's like an anticipation issue. Yeah. You didn't think that would happen? Yeah. To me, I'm like, why you dump those blocks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Peter. I would think that was a delay tactic, just like the writing thing, yeah. right? Or like yeah. off task, but it's really anticipation things. So yeah, during writing sample, commented on church bells, dad's arrival, and the time. Deficits in focus, sustained attention, impulsivity. Yeah. So yeah, that was really eye-opening for me. And I just, sometimes a little shift in how we think about things can have such a big impact. Absolutely. And I feel like my reports are going to be so much better after oh this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I want to like see a videotape of you and your IEP meetings from now on presenting this, just patting yourself on the back, like getting yeah, so glowing. into it, getting so excited about the information. I already do that. I, when I just go on my monologue and I like kind of have an out of body experience and I hear myself, I'm like, are these parents just dead? Are they just thinking about what they're going to make for dinner and totally tuning out? Like, why is this lady talking on? She is so excited about this information. That's like the first time, you know, in grad school, we were taught this very, very complicated way of analyzing phonological processes. I'm sure you remember. Yes, yes. <laughs> Where you found all the rules and in which order they occurred and blah, 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 blah. And I remember the first time I like really presented, I really geeked out over some phonological processes and did the full analysis and was like, now this is fascinating. Like the way I presented it, the parents were, they, they didn't even speak English. And I'm just like going crazy. The interpreter was probably like, girl, keep it to a minimum. You don't need to tell them all of this information. I'm like, and she deletes oh initial consonants, but only if there's blah, blah, blah. You know? Yes, I can. I remember an exact IEP where I did the same thing, but they, I, everyone actually thought it was kind of cool. They were like, wow. I'm like, it's kind of like a formula. It's like PEMDAS. This has to come first and then this happens. <laughs> oh, SLPs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're nerds at our core and it's fine. You know, it's great. Yep. What would the world do yeah. without us? <laughs> so exciting announcement. Our book for the month of July is Lisa Murphy on Play, The Foundation of Children's Learning by Lisa Murphy. We picked a fun book about play and learning for the summer. We thought it would be a little bit lighter. And if you are familiar with Lisa Murphy, I believe her name is the ooey gooey lady on Instagram. Oh. And she is very fun, very into play-based learning. So another one with great, great reviews. And I've read a little bit and I really enjoy her writing yes. style. I think everyone's going to love it. Yay. I can't wait to dig into that, especially as we all have more time this summer and we're relaxing a little bit, it should be not so academic and a little more fun. 
All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for hanging in there with us. We hope you've learned so much from the Seeds of Learning. As always, feel free to pop over to our Instagram at SLP underscore book club. Join in the discussion. Send us a DM. Reply to our stories. Tell a friend if you feel particularly moved to do so. Yeah. And we actually have some exciting news. Laura, do you want to share? Yes. Very exciting Tara Sumter, the Tara Sumter, author of The Seeds of Learning, sat down with us, graciously offered to sit down with us for an interview. She was excited to hear what we thought, what we got from the book, and we will be putting out an extra bonus episode this Friday the 30th, our interview with Tara. So hopefully you'll get answers to some of those burning questions you had as you read this book and find out more about treatment and upcoming plans for maybe another book. So look forward to that. Tune in on Friday to hear our interview with Tara. We can't wait. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Bye, Laura. Bye, Adrian. At the SLP Book Club, our mission is to learn, grow, and connect with other SLPs and educators. If you love what we're doing, the best way to support the podcast is to leave a rating and review wherever you listen. This helps other SLPs find the show so our community can grow even stronger. We appreciate you so much and hope you keep listening and reading along with us.